I'm continuing this evening to talk about the six realms of existence, the six realms of experience. And I think most people are familiar with the wheel, the Tibetan wheel of, of life. You can always Google it and see the, the monster of impermanence holding the six realms in his mouth. So this, I'm talking about this teaching <clears throat> for several reasons. First off, this teaching points out the mystery, the absolute mystery that's at the core of our lives, and the mystery <clears throat> that is all around us. And when we realize that we're not living in a world solely of nuts and bolts and monitors, and cars and machines and oil and gas and money. But we are actually living in a realm of mystery. And that mystery is really interesting. So appreciating the mystery is part of appreciating this life. Next, as we discuss these realms, to really, to clearly understand that every realm, whether it be psychological, physical, a place in the world, or even the unseen realms, has, a, has the potential for liberation. That means Whatever we encounter, there is the potential for liberation. No matter how dangerous, how dark, how exhilarating, how pleasurable, how unpleasurable, every realm has the potential for liberation. It's nice to know. Next talking about this particular teaching again emphasizes we are never stuck. That everything is a flow. The wheel of impermanence is always moving. It's moving in our culture. It's moving in our mind. It's moving in our families. It's moving in our life. So we're never stuck. Things are always evolving. And we have some choice, in a way, about the direction of that involvement, of that evolvement, that movement, depending upon how we turn our mind. And that this experience we have, because it is impermanent, because it is only a temporary condition, it is valuable. It is important. It is vital. It is worthy of respect. Every person we meet, every circumstance we meet, 
we meet literally only one time. And then it's gone. And a new manifestation of that person may come, but we're changing all the time. So every place and person and thing we meet has a sacred quality to it when we're paying attention. <clears throat> so really to appreciate being the temporary condition of being you. One of the cognitive errors that we tend to think, we tend to have inhabit, is we think that the future is going to be the world will change, but I'll be the same person in the future. It doesn't happen like that. The you of the future is will be different than the you of now. You will think differently. You will look differently. You will have different sensitivities, perhaps. So the traditional view of the six realms of existence are that there are six realms. There's a, a human realm and there's a, a realm of titans, asuras, uh, demigods. There's a godly realm, a heavenly realm. There's an animal realm. There's a realm of, of, uh, of pretas, of hungry ghosts. And there's a hellish realm. And the traditional teaching is each of these states, each of these realms, each of these places has a reality. And that the only place of liberation is from the human realm. But that's a very limited view. Because we only see the realms in ourselves and in the cosmos from our narrow view. Our senses detect just a small sliver of the electromagnetic field. Our ears detect just a small sliver of the pulsing of the universe. Our minds can only conceive of things that this particular human mind is capable of. So knowing that, when we are looking at the six realms and we're looking at it from a human perspective, we're kind of seeing them anthropomorphized. It's something more mysterious than that. The great Mahayana Sutras often are trying to depict a world beyond our cognition, a world that can be perceived but can't be so much defined in the human realm. So this is just two paragraphs from one of the great sutras, the, the Avatamsaka Sutra, very thick, it's one of two volumes of it. And it is one of the great sutras that tries to describe the cosmos, the boundless mystery the nature of the seen and the unseen in words. So here's a few, two paragraphs from the first chapter, the first page of the Avatamsaka Sutra. 
Thus have I heard. All of the Mahayana and Theravadan sutras begin with thus I have heard. And it's a statement by Ananda, the Buddha's attendant for 35 years who had an eidetic memory, that he was present. So it's a, a statement that basically is at the beginning of every sutra that stamps it, says, you know, this is authentic. It's also a, a standard entrance. Thus have I heard, at one time the Buddha was in the land of Magadha, in a state of purity, at the sight of enlightenment, having just realized true awareness. The ground was solid and firm, made of diamond, adorned with exquisite jewel discs and myriad precious flowers, with pure, clear crystals. The ocean of characteristics of the various colors appeared over an infinite extent. There were banners of precious stones, constantly emitting shining light and producing beautiful sounds. Nets of myriad gems and garlands of exquisitely centered flowers hung all around. The finest jeweled jewels appeared spontaneously, raining inexhaustible qualities of gems and beautiful flowers all over the earth. There were rows of jeweled trees, their branches and foliage lustrous and luxuriant. By the Buddha's spiritual power, he calls all the adornments of his enlightenment sight to be reflected therein. It goes on for 1,500 pages with this kind of exuberance. But it's trying to point out to us narrow-minded humans that there are realms of experience, realms of existence, far beyond what we can see. Far beyond. Now, there also is a teaching in these realms of existence, this is what I think I ended with yesterday, that as our minds are refined, we actually can see more in the world. We actually can see different layers. The, tr the traditional example of that, which I may have mentioned yesterday, is dust. On the side of the road, it's completely unseeable. But if it's in the floor of your house, you begin to notice it. If it's on a plate you're going to eat from, you very much notice it. If it's on the mirror in your bathroom, even a slight film we notice. In the same way, as the mind becomes refined by not being clouded, not being covered, not being encrustated with all the fears and anxieties and regrets of the past and future, but actually able to look more and more clearly at what's right here, right now. It's the goal of meditation to actually see that. Then we begin to refine how the world looks. The world does not look the same to everybody. Nor should it. There isn't a better world. There world. We are all in different worlds. So, and each world is precious. So people who are protesting are in one world, a precious world, an important world. People who are 
in the mountains and in the Himalayas, are in a world, a precious world. Mothers who are at home with children are in a world, a precious world. Everybody, as part of the whole, as part of the connection of all things, is in a pre their own precious world, and they can see from that world certain things. Some people can see a dog-eat-dog -dog society. Some people can see the harmonious coming together of all the disparate elements. Some people see beauty. Some people see ugliness. The first of the five eyes is our physical eye, the material eye. And in a Buddhist perspective, it's a blessing. Not everybody has an eye. Not everybody has eyes that work. Not everybody has eyes that function. So the first of the eyes is to have what we regard as an ordinary human eye that can see growth and can see decay, can see people improving, excuse me, that, that can see, can discern and discriminate. You know, lines can, can identify shapes and can identify and put together patterns. I think I mentioned last night that there's research, uh, there was exper some experiments of adult people who got their vision at age, you know, 30 or 40, who were unable to live and to comprehend the world because they hadn't learned how to put all the input into an organized way. So there's the physical eye, which we all are hopefully endowed with and enables us to drive and get around the world. As our minds become less clouded, as our minds become less caught by fear and anxiety, we can see more carefully, we can see, we can understand people, we can see their growth, we can see their development. We begin to see beyond ourselves. When the mind is swirling with greed, anger, ignorance, with fear, with grasping, with terror, with regret. When the mind is swirling, it's like there's a crust on our awareness and our vision is limited. But as we practice and as we begin to do these things that we were working with this evening, respect, appreciation, being able to be present, our eye begins to clear and we can see growth and development in people. We can see factors that move people in healthy directions. As our mind and eye clears up even more, we can begin to see the dreamlike nature of all things. To look deeply into what we think of as real and how it's the difference between this life that we think of as so real in our dream world and where exactly do they cross and when we really begin to see that everything we see is made up by our own mind and it's all instantaneously disappears. It's all just like a dream. The beginning of this period of meditation is completely gone. It was a dream that it ever happened in the first place. It's a level of truth. A level of truth. To see the dreamlike nature of all things. And when we see the dreamlike nature of all things, you know, things float through us much more easily. They don't stick. But that's a stuck place also. It's only one of the eyes. 
the next, and, and sometimes if people have deep awakening experiences, they have kin shows, they have insights, they have a, a, a I can't think of the name in the Tibetan, um, awakening experiences, they will see the oneness of all things. They'll see the evenness of all things. They'll see that all things are created in a way equal at the same time, connected. It's a, a realm of seeing. But it's also not the ultimate realm. So the next eye, uh, it's called the Dharma eye. So the physical eye, the divine eye, the wisdom eye, the Dharma eye. And the Dharma eye is about discrimination. So we often have the sense that, um, you know, have an awakening experience and we'll see the oneness of all things and we'll see the, the sacredness of all things and we'll see the dreamlike nature of all things. But the next level of practice, the next eye to be cultivated is we have to be able to, without losing those truths, to be able to function in discrimination to see that our discriminating what is healthy, what's not healthy, to see what's our discriminating, what works, what doesn't work, what makes connection, what doesn't make connection, to be able to function with seeing the whole and yet simultaneously being able to see, to discriminate, skillful and unskillful. Be able to see in the Buddhist tradition, we say, to be able to really see the Eightfold Path. The last of the eyes is called the Buddha eye in this human. And that's the eye that really sees everything is totally connected. You push down on the right and the left comes up. You, you correct this, and this falls apart. Everything is connected. Nothing is out of, nothing is unimportant. Everything is connected. So that means, of course, that all the things that we see that are hateful in the world are somehow connected to all the things that we see that are great in the world. It's all connected, and it's all connected with us because we are the, the eye that sees. So we're looking at these six realms of existence, those realms as we talked about of our own states of mind. There are realms of mystery. There are realms that are constantly changing, and each realm each realm has the potential for liberation as the mind clears up and can see. Each state that we're in has the potential for liberation. Now, whenever we are looking from our human perspective, there always are people and things above us, bigger, stronger, wiser, older, whatever, and there always are people or things that are below us, smaller, less intelligent, whatever, whatever. That we can zoom out and see things from a bigger and bigger vantage point. We can zoom in and see things more and more and more particular, more minute. Um, if I can, I am, uh, there, there's a wonderful um, YouTube 
video, which maybe after we finish or now you could take a look at. It's called Zoom, and not, not Zoom, the online meeting thing we're using right now, but it's Zoom by Istvan Vanyay. Istvan Vanyay. And you probably saw it when you were a kid. And it starts off with looking at a, a red, <clears throat> a red variegated uh, outline. And then choop, you move back and you see it's part of a rooster. And doop, you move back and you see that it's part of some children looking at the rooster. And then you move back and you move back and you move back and you move back. And finally you move back and you see the whole world of the solar system or the galaxy. So, or there's other kinds of factors of 10 videos that you can go in, 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 in. When we are practicing, we begin to realize that there are certain views that we can get stuck in, problems, but if we zoom out or we zoom in, they look very differently. Sometimes if people are having a lot of trouble with thought, for example, to zoom in, to slow it down, to look at it, to look at the space between it, to look where it arises, to look at the syllables, to zoom in, and thought looks very different than it does when it's just bothering us. Or to zoom way out. So every realm of existence that we are in, every state, every realm that we see is in the middle. There is above, there is below. As we become more spacious, things fall into place. As we become more particular, the crusted, encrusted, fixated idea we have begins to fall apart. They're always, always free, always in the middle. So that means that every conflict, every inadequacy, <coughs> every place that we are stuck is only stuck from a perspective. So when we begin to see this whole realm of existence, of changing, of changing, of growing, of growing, every realm, every state of mind, every place that we are stuck, it's very hopeful. So our country is appears stuck from a certain viewpoint. From another viewpoint, this is an evolutionary movement. Everything is okay. So every realm in, these, in this iconography you can look at has a Buddha or a Kuan Yin or a Navalokiteshvara or a Jizo has some liberation. And liberation occurs for all of us when we can touch a place of non-differentiation. When we can actually rest in the non-judgmental experience of a particular place, particular realm. That level I was talking about, about the oneness of all things. When we can touch a non-judgmental place, then what can be good or bad? When we touch the non-judgmental place of this moment, of right here, then right there, there is liberation and freedom. Liberation and freedom is not dependent 
upon the external circumstances. It shapes how we work to help people. It shapes the problems that we are going to learn from. But liberation is not dependent upon any of the realms of existence. There is wisdom everywhere. And of course, the one who sees that wisdom, the one who can find liberation, is sitting right in your seat right at this moment. So to have confidence, to have appreciation, to have deep respect for your life, is an essential teaching of these realms of existence, of this practice, of meditation, of the spiritual path. And the last thing that, that I often like to end with with these things is <clears throat> each realm has its important part of the whole. The whole circle needs every quadrant. The whole of us needs everything in us. And that particular constellation of our life is here for a purpose. So there is the purpose of just the fact that we are sitting in one place holding the isness of our life down is one purpose. The other purpose is there is a heart's aspiration that we all have. We all have hearts, a movement of our hearts. To align our life with the movement of our heart through the six realms to bring wisdom and liberation to ourselves and all beings. I feel is part of spiritual practice and worthy of respect. Please have deep confidence and deep faith in your own essential being. Thank you.